Talk Show. <clears throat> Recorded live. Welcome to episode 31 of Scuba Obsessed. What Coast Guard Festival? This week we have Jim playing hooky. Uh, we also have some scuba articles in the news, and I'd like to welcome our guest this week, which is our mentor, Don McEnany. How you doing, Don? Pretty good. Glad to be here tonight. Like I'd like to be on the lake with uh, other people who may be playing hooky. Yeah, exactly. I, I got a text message uh, a few hours ago saying that he wasn't uh, feeling too well and that uh, he was uh, going to call in sick and head out to the lake, which... Uh, you know, if that's all it took for me to get out to the lake, I think I would I, I would get sick a little more often. So with that, we're going to go jump into the news. Uh, the first news article this week is a barge headed for Barnget Reef. And I'm assuming I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, but uh, open up that window. Uh, the New York... Uh, not, excuse me, not New York, New Jersey uh, Division of Fish and Wildlife has announced that a 43-foot steel-hulled push barge is slated for deployment in the Barnett Reef on August 12th as part of the division's artificial reef program. So that was supposed to go down today. Uh, they're saying that the site is three nautical miles off the Barnett Inlet in Ocean County. The vessel is being sunk in memory of Gary Smith, a scuba diving instructor who recently passed away. Um, they're planning on about 150 species of first fish and marine life, fishing ground for anglers and underwater attractants for scuba divers. Uh, vessels will continue to serve fishing industry for at least 50 years. Uh, in the article, which you can pick up on our show notes, they have the GPS coordinates of where they're planning on sinking it. Hopefully that's pretty close to the spot where it ends up. Uh, and they were also warning if you've got, if you're a commercial fisherman, you got gear in the area, you might want to get it out of the way. So, uh, Don, as far as uh, stuff like that, have you heard of anybody doing anything like that in Lake Michigan outside of the Chicago area? No, not really. Uh, there have been some plans for it, but the cost involved in trying to prep one to get rid of the oil, greases, asbestos is astronomical, and they're having a lot of trouble financing that kind of stuff. Now, in, in your opinion, do you think that that would uh, have any erosion benefits? I'm not so much sure about erosion benefits, but it would certainly be a fish attraction. And depending on the depth they're going to put it at, you're looking at it from the uh, commerce aspect. Mm-hmm. You can put some money into the you know the economy of the area that the barge or the vessel would be near. So from that aspect, it's a positive aspect to do. Yeah, last last week on our way out uh, the channel, they had uh, one of those uh, haulers that brings in the the cement for the cement plants coming in, or or maybe it was gravel. But uh, I was just thinking how nice one of those would be out in some place where we could dive. You know, sinking sinking about 160 feet of water, and then the top would be, you know, in recreational limits. That'd be in a great dive site. If you put one of those out, like you said, at sport depth, 120 feet, 
he would draw people in here from all around, just like uh, the Cedarville up at Mackinac. Uh-huh. Everybody wants to dive that. And when you go there, you will dive that wreck. So if you put that something like that 120 foot any place near um, an area like St. Joe or South Haven, oh, well, going to uh, improve the diving community a lot there. Uh, I, I would definitely love to have something like that off, off of St. Joe. The next article is sharks have a fan base among scuba divers. Uh, what they're talking about is just uh, the the scuba diving industry and the enjoyment that people have had with with uh, diving with sharks. Uh, Hank Pariff, uh says these so-called man eaters uh, they really are just puppy dogs. Uh, he's been diving since 1976, swimming everywhere from Guam to Galapagos, and he's so confident around the uh, sand tigers that frequently crowd the uh, shipwrecks that he has become a shark wrangler and underwater photographer and videographer. So uh, that, that, that brings up a topic that was in the Scuba Obsessed Facebook area. We had a, a fan in there who said that he's been snorkeling. He desperately wants to get into scuba diving, but he's scared to death of sharks. So uh, I, 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 I uh, probably unsuccessfully tried to convince him that there was nothing to worry about. Uh, as I was reading through the articles, and I said that up here in a freshwater, we tend not to get many of these sharks. Uh, I did find that there was the case of a of shark attack actually in Lake Michigan in the 50s. Had you heard of that one, Don? No, I have not. It was uh, reported uh, in the mid-50s off Chicago, and a gentleman lost his leg from the knee down, and I believe it was a uh, a bull shark. Uh, no, nobody knows where it comes from. They haven't seen any evidence of it, of it since. Uh, the thought is that maybe it had come up the Mississippi and through the Chicago Canal. Well, if it happened in 1950 and uh, we haven't seen any since, I <laughs> find it hard to believe. I'd like to see the uh, surgeon report on his leg and stuff to see that. Yeah. Well, that's that's the only thing I've heard of. I know that some of those sharks can go up freshwater, but no, it seems like they're pretty much limited to, uh, you know, just a little bit of the ways in. It seems like they're still primarily a saltwater creature. That's my understanding. There are some freshwater sharks, but I think those are landlocked. It's down there in uh, South America. Mm-hmm. Can't remember exactly which country it is. Thousands, thousands of years ago, the area. Uh, became isolated from the ocean. Uh-huh. The salt finally drifted out or cremated out, and the sharks uh, obviously adapted. And they're actually freshwater sharks, but they're not something you're going to find in the ocean for sure. Yeah, they've, they've probably lost their ability to navigate in the salt water. Lucky for us. <laughs> yeah, but I can't imagine a bull shark in Lake Michigan. Then the next article is on the goblin shark remains a remain shrouded in mystery and what's interesting about this article was the video that went along with it where they show a diver who's actually being bitten by the shark uh it doesn't penetrate his wetsuit and it just kind of gnaws on his arm a little bit like a uh, puppy dog would uh but 
just such a bizarre looking shark. Uh, the video was shot by a U.S. documentary team for the Science Channel and has become a viral hit online to put the spotlight back on the, on the animal. The footage shows the bark, the, the bark, the shark, biting in the sleeve of the scuba diver's wetsuit. Uh, the species can grow up to 400 meters long. It's rare to be in the area where divers are uh, since it tends to live 400 meters or below sea level. So, yeah, a little bit outside my range. I don't think I've ever heard of one of those. It, when you just look at it at a distance, it just looks like an albino shark. But as it was biting this guy's wetsuit, it's almost like its jaw. It's like it's got an independent jaw, a little bit like uh, if you remember the movie Aliens, uh, very similar to that. So they're, they're not even sure what it eats or how it feeds or any behavior of it. Uh, it's believed that they do have a nursery off uh, Japan, off coastal Japan as a, as a nursing area for the species, but very little is, is known about them. Uh, probably only a dozen or so videos have ever been captured of the creature, but this one is just bizarre. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of, especially Shark Week, you see a lot of the, uh, you know, the sharks <clears throat> biting into uh, cages and dummies and and other things, but you know, yeah. nothing quite like the jaw on this creature. I'm sort of looking at it from that perspective. It looks like a paddlefish. Do so you got that secondary bite? That's, yeah. like you said, that is weird. Yeah, I, I see what you say about the paddlefish, because when they showed it, you could see through his gills to the other side. So it looked like almost, you know, you almost got the feeling that maybe it was uh, similar to a filter feeder. But when that jaw, like it almost like separates down from underneath the nose and then comes out, and then it's got those little wire teeth. So, I mean, if I had to guess, I would say that it, it, it eats, you know, small fish or whatever it can get. And I'm almost thinking that jaw has to come down like that because whatever it's eating on, like maybe it eats a, maybe it, maybe it's a scavenger and it eats into carcasses. So it would be hard for, you know, its teeth being right in its snout if it, if it didn't move like that, just the oddest thing. So if you saw that in the movie, you'd believe it was something made by, the movie people. Oh, exactly. You you would not believe that that motion was something uh, that nature. But you know, uh, you know the why why make anything up when you've got creatures like this? <laughs> I, I just wonder why they didn't capture it because that's so unique. It's a little hard. You know, everything's speculation unless they had a, a sample of it. Yeah. Well. Yeah, and I'm sure that the reason why this made it out on YouTube is that this doc this documentary team is going to is using it for publicity so that when the show comes out it, it seemed like if it was going to come out it would have come out this week because they're part of that discovery channel series and it's currently their shark week now so uh maybe they're just using it to promote this year and there'll be another uh, show on it or something definitely want to take a look at at it if they've got more material what was that found uh this one Uh, I'm not seeing where they're saying where this one is found. They've they've had fishermen catch them off the east coast of Tasmania. Okay, you're talking Australian area. 
That's what I was curious. Uh, which area did you say that was? That's Australia. Australia, okay. So, yeah, it was a U.S. team, but they don't say... Well, it's an Australian marine biologist that did part of the work there. Okay, so that would make sense that maybe this is all in Australia. Yeah, because Tasmania is in that same perspective. And they said in 2004 they actually caught a dead one. I yep. don't know how you catch a dead one, though. Well, maybe you got him on the line by the time he comes up, he's dead. Yeah. yeah I, I'm sure if you're living down at 400 meters and somebody brings you up quick, you know, they, they must have their own version of the bends. Yeah, that's a big-time deco. <laughs> and a violation of a few tables. Uh, the next article is the Edmonds Police Host Underwater Explosive Class. I always like these articles where they where they talk about different things that you can you can do while diving. Well, of course, yeah, it seems like every week I have to lose an article. Did I did I put the wrong link in there again? No, it came up. I checked it myself. I'm not sure where Edmund is though. Okay, here's one here. It's St. Paul, Minnesota that's got the picture of the guy. Yeah, because it's... Uh, the... I don't think I'd want to be a law enforcement officer doing EOD work. I think I'd contact my local uh, National Guard unit slash United States Army and get their EOD people. For those of us who don't know what's EOD mean. Um, explosive Ordnance Demolition. Ah, yeah, I, I don't think I really want to be next to an explosive device, especially underwater. I imagine that even a little ways away is going to hurt. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel good when you get a, uh, an explosion underwater, even small ones. Have, have you had that opportunity in, in your experience of being near an explosion or a large concussion? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a quarter pound chunk of TNT will uh, suck your breath away. Oh, <laughs> you get small ones like that if you're welding uh -huh. and you're working into the piece like you're going to cut a shaft and get the prop off and you get a bubble and they use like a, a burning torch. So you burn and you're not trying to weld. Yep. You get a blowback and it hits you in the chest just from welding. That'll, that'll go. It'll get your attention. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, you haven't experienced it yet, but. Occasionally, when we're doing ice dives, we've had people toss uh, quarter-pound chunks of TNT <laughs> in there for New Year's, okay. and uh, you can feel that pretty good. Now, when you and say the, people throwing that in, is it us as the club throw, throws them oh, in? No, or? no, no. It's other people. Ah, so so farther on down, people are throwing them in. Yeah. yeah. I, I was hoping that wasn't the case that no. we were doing ourselves in. <laughs> yeah, tossing it in as a little mixer. <laughs> he thought he thought we were needed a little excitement. Wake up! Uh, but yeah, this uh, this article goes into the uh, the the fact that it, it requires two uh, specialties: uh, being a bomb disposal expert and also being a scuba diver. So if you're a scuba diver, you don't want to be play, uh, messing around with the explosives. And if you're a bomb disposal expert and you're not a diver, it's kind of hard to to throw you in at the last minute and have you be effective underwater. So they well, go in. Where they say a local dive team with no bomb disposal experience or bomb tech who has not had blackwater experience. Excuse me, but from what little I've had for explosives, 
I don't want to be working on anything I can't see. <laughs> and Blackwater, uh, just as a side note, the last time I found a bomb was in our Singer Lake. Uh-huh. And they were mercury switch bombs, and they had landed in the muck standing up. Well, by the time I found them, the batteries were dead. So when I brought them up, unbeknowing that it was a mercury switch, had it been new or still active, I'd have been screwed. Wait a minute here. You, you were in Singer Lake, and yes, sir. you found bombs. Well, they're pipe bombs, but they were triggered with mercury switches. Oh. So I turned him into the state cop who wasn't really excited. Now, if you did that nowadays, they'd be all over you. You're talking long, you know, many, many years ago. Uh-huh. But the kicker is what they used to do is fish. Oh, okay. So somebody was doing a little cheating and doing some fishing with the... Uh... Yeah. And what they were trying to do is get it to go down deeper. So it would go down, and you've been on Singer, that's not a hard bottom. No. So it's stuck there. And it didn't, you know, and it went down fast enough that it went straight down. It's not a wobble, which would have triggered off the mercury switch. Oh. So I bring those little suckers up and then look at them and say, and had a few couple of choice words, and just thankful that the, the batteries were dead. Wow. Yeah, tell me about it. Now, she's, I, it can, there could still be some down there. Uh, possibly. That's why I don't go back to that area. Actually, they were located under a boat. Now, I don't know if the boat was there because (laughs) think about it, it might be. It could be a little side casualty from the activity. Wow. I'm still not sure, though, how how good a bomb disposal expert is going to work on anything in black water. I mean, you've been in the river with us. Oh, yeah. You're going to do what? Do anything? You're not. You're just going to find it. You're not even have a clue what it is. Not if it's a pipe bomb. It looks like a pipe. Well, yeah. Uh, you would have to, for that to be an effective, is that you would have to have somebody, you know, say you knew somebody had a bomb, maybe they had threatened somebody, and that they were observed throwing it into the river. Yeah, maybe that's when it comes into effect that you want to. But gosh, that's that's just. I mean, I guess as the as law enforcement, they have to take some activity because you can't you can't in good conscience leave it out there for somebody to snag or or do something on. But man, you wouldn't want to be the guy grubbing around <laughs> finding. Well, it. we did that in the Saint Joe River uh, down there by the train trestle. Yeah. That's where we got that case of railroad torpedoes was there. Oh, really? Yeah, that's when we took that to the police station, and after they realized what it was, they were really asking us if we would please remove it from their building because it was unstable. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, so it's like, okay, the blind leading the blind. Well, yeah, you're taking it to where you think they should have it, and they don't want it. <laughs> no, because as it dries up, it got more unstable. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll let you guys find the next one. <laughs> a lot of things I'd like to find down there. Those are one of them that I yeah, do. I go to find you. I don't find either anymore. Yeah. And then our last article for the week is the uh, a new rescue dive team formed in 
Herringman, and this is from the Salt Lake ABC4 News website. Uh, they formed a new rescue team. It's made up of 15 firefighters, and they're ready to die for emergencies 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, they said that the reservoir is very pop- popular. Last 22 years, last year, a 22-year-old man drowned while swimming with his brother and friend, and that helped prompt them to take action. So it's nice to see uh, in this economy that there are some uh, municipalities that are investing in this. Uh, we had an article a few weeks back where they weren't sure that they were going to continue to invest. Uh, uh, one municipality for $1,000 had uh, sidelined their, their dive team because they thought it was, would be seen as an extravagance. I'm not exactly sure about extravagance, but uh, generally dive team is recovery. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I think the um, rescue teams for swift water, open water rescues, mm-hmm. ice water, those are very valid. Uh, I think that I'm trying to remember it's either Coloma or Water of Leap, the police department, or the fire department there had the hovercraft. Yeah. Now, something like that is, is very useful for, for ice, you know, ice and or regular stuff. Uh, talking about water rescue, that's what you want is the tools to do the job before it becomes a recovery job. Certainly, that that is a good one. Uh, in fact, I think that there was a, a place over here in Eau Claire that was making those hovercrafts for a while, and and that was one of them, the one that they have. And that's been dispatched, I know, a few people in the fire department where that's been used all over. They're, they're kind of nice. Uh, you know, and that they they can pick different. They don't necessarily need a boat ramp to be able to get in the water. Uh, yeah, you can launch easy. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, and you, we got some swampy areas where you pretty much can't even get a jet boat in, uh, and this is able to get to it. Uh, and well, it's a good platform too because it's stable. You can put lots of weight on it. It's not going to dump. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, 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 you don't. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what it looks like underneath, but. Uh, you don't have a repeller, so you don't, you're not going to risk running over uh, the people who you're trying to save. So it just seems seems nice. The uh, local fire department here in my township, they have a boat. And what I like about it is it's got a uh, well, kind of a rack that flips out in the front so that it's actually underwater. So when you're trying to rescue somebody, you can pull them onto this rack. Uh, the only downside is it looks like it can fit six or eight people but it's only rated for about 1,200 pounds. So, you know, by the time you get a, you know, a couple geared-up firemen and whoever you're trying to rescue, you don't have a whole lot of capacity in that in that particular vessel. Uh, let's admit you. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> so uh, uh, we also have uh, a couple five, five-star iTunes reviews this last week. We'd like to thank uh, our listeners and our fans. Uh, we'll, we'll read a couple of them. Uh, one was posted by MOKP, and it's titled, This is Sparta. It says, uh, great scuba podcast. Their enthusiasm for diving is great. It is fun to listen to their adventures and hear them advance the best sport on the planet. And I couldn't agree with them more. Uh, and thank you for the kind words. The next one is by Tedward uh, Dietrich, and it's titled, My Favorite Scuba Podcast. And then he says, I love the podcast, but I have a hard time finding even an okay scuba podcast that was actively producing updates. I was lucky enough to find 
Jim and Darren's Scuba Obsessed podcast and it was and was amazed. Not only was it a great show that they actually focused on diving uh, and the dives they were making, or diving news and the dives they were making, there is also a new show every week. Jim and Darren, thank you for making a great show, providing great content every week and helps the discomfort between my own dives. If you want a Scuba podcast that actually talks about industry news and diving, look no further. So thank you for the awesome five-star reviews. If you enjoy the show, please go over there, and uh, we could use some more of them. It gets us more listeners. So thank you very much for being a fan. And So now it's to that time of the show where we get to actually talk about diving. And, and I feel like I, I dive off a lot, not as much as I want, but uh, you know, probably more than most people. But uh, I think about the only person in the area I know for sure that's diving more than me has to be you, Don. <laughs> Back. So how many dives would you say you, or let's say hours of bottom time in the last two weeks? Uh, I've got about 10 dives in and I've been burning two to three tanks every time I've been out. So uh, did you see my last post from yesterday? Oh no, I'll, I'll take a look. I'm afraid to, I get so jealous when, <laughs> You'll notice on the top row there's a nice brass prop. Okay, I saw that one. That that look the the picture with the city wall. Yep, that's it all because it's got the prop was really nice. Uh, three of the regular anchors, well, two two of the old uh, like Danforth anchors. Mm-hmm. Then that big uh, mushroom one, which had to be new. And then did you see the antique anchor under it? Yeah. Yep. That was a really lightweight. I've had a couple of those, but I gave that to the guy whose property I was diving off of. Oh, so well, I gave his wife a couple of the bottles I found that were specific to Coloma. They were pretty nice, plus some really nice uh, whiskeys with the old tops to them. They like that. Uh, I meant to find out if anybody needed that dive ladder. I found a dive ladder out there too. Bought that. In. <laughs> now, is that a dive ladder off a boat or? Uh... It looks like a boat one. Looks like a boat one. Uh, it's it's a little sloppy looking, but um, a good cleaning. It'll be good as new. And of course, the obligatory golf balls. I don't know where they're all coming from. <laughs> you don't. Uh, when, when you guys get down there, I found another little section. That's. Uh, well, let me put it this way: I had more stuff down there than I could possibly bring up. Oh gosh. <laughs> and when you go down, you'll see it marked. I put sticks. And generally, you're going to see a bottle, or you'll see three stones in a row. That means there's something there. Three so stones in a row. Right. Or if you come across the log and buy the log, you'll find four jugs. You know, like those big ones I've been finding. Uh huh. You'll find four of those in a row. The only reason they're still there is because they're broken in half. But it looks impressive when you still first come up to it. I figured that'll take your breath away to find that one. Yeah. So, that, so did you do the where you you hide the the damaged portions to the back so they all look really nice when we come across yes, them? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I know I know that's nasty, but it's going to make you realize there is stuff out there, and you might get lucky the next time. Oh. oh. Well, so take practice, because by the time you pick it up, you always wonder, did you break it or not? Well, some people when they grab the handle and they pull, you never want to do that because you can fracture them. Oh yeah, if it's stuck, stuck in the bottom. 
Yep, take the time to fan it away to make sure it's intact before you move it. Don't do any pressure on it because there could be something there that's going to hit it and make it break. Now that anchor that's on that bottom row. The black one? Yeah. What what kind yeah. of anchor was that? I'm not sure what it could be used for. I mean, because it looked too small. Yeah. It almost looks decorative, doesn't it? Yeah, but uh, if you look at Wolf's, there's one hanging from the ceiling. I gave him that many years ago. It looks just like that one. But it is very old because when you take it out, they rust. And they, um, it actually C-rates. When you look at it, it looks like it's multiple wires, the way it's decaying or rusting. Mm-hmm. So I told him on this one, he really needed to brush it down real quick and get some rust-oleum on it. Yeah, I've I've thought of playing around with a tank, uh, trying to do some uh, little reverse electrolysis to one of these things, seeing if we, you know, just to practice some restoration for really. You can build those little kits. I do that for coins and stuff. Mm -hmm. They do work very nice, and I minimize those, especially for. I was using it for cleaning some gold and stuff. Yeah, Um, and they work really nice because then you don't have to mess around. And if you rub gold and silver too hard and it's got embossing on it, it'll dull it down or, or it'll take the fineness or the finesse out of it. So yeah. all is a nice way to do it. Well, I, I just thought, you know, I'm not in a rush for any of this stuff. And, you know, most of the things we're finding now aren't really that noteworthy, you know, namely that car jack I found uh, last time we were out. So I just thought that if I'd let some of that stuff work, then you know, when you really do get something that needs to be conserved, uh, you know, you've kind of worked through the details, so you're not really experimenting on something that might have a little bit more historical value. Um, like one of the anchors I found the other day, I was trying to get the uh, the handle so it'll actually function. Mm-hmm. And some of that cast, you do not want to ever use metal on metal. You want to use wood or rubber because the other will actually crack the handle. Ah. And then you've just got a, a junk piece of weight there. And um, I found another real nice lock. <clears throat> Did you get my, well, I don't know if you saw it, but it was attached to a chest. I was waiting for somebody to ask me about the chest, but I'll say that for another day. But I started cleaning in the lock. That lock is unique. Uh, I was actually taking my time, like you're suggesting, and not trying to make it really clean, but get it so it's semi-functional. Yeah. Uh, it was a really interesting lock. I'm glad I took my time and just didn't toss it away. It's cleaning up nice. Yeah, I, I just, just stuff like that. You know, even if it ends up in the wall of a of a Fridays or a, or a uh, you know Applebee's restaurant, those are just so interesting. Just all the parts because they look like the old fashioned, where maybe it had like the little flapper that covers the yeah, slides over the skeleton key hole. Was yeah. That a, yep. Yeah. So just, you know, you know, I know a lot of people don't like the the mud diving, but you know, the, just the excitement of finding some of these items that uh, people threw away a long time ago or or happened to lose over the side. I mean, I just can't believe it. That has to be about the most anchors I've seen all in one find. Uh, yeah. Uh, have you got the picture kicked up? Yeah, I've, I'm looking at it right now. So you see where the prop is? Yeah. Uh, you see the two items on the right-hand side? Right right next to the prop? Yeah. Yeah, those are... Uh, I can't think of what you call those. Uh, I, I like, 
they're like the tie-offs on a boat. Uh, it's tie-off, except it's not. It wasn't from a boat. It was from a dock, and for something that big, the uh, boat had to be pretty good size. Mm-hmm. Well, it probably was the primary pier for the uh, either the city of Pawpaw or the Margaret, which was a 80-foot boat out there, a showboat on Pawpaw Lake. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And every bit of that stuff came from an area of less than 200 feet. Wow. And nothing was deeper than 15 feet. So, so that means that no, nobody had really been there before. Now, the only way to get there was across these, this uh, couple's property? Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's what really sucks out there for access without a boat. Well, it sounds like we really need to, to target some of these areas and convince Jim or the other gym to get their boat out there. Well, that's what I've been doing the last two weeks, been spotting. Uh, I found the old plaps from 1907, 1911, mm-hmm. 1927, compared them and located all the sites where the boats used to dock. Yeah. Meaning the excursion boats. And, uh, well, this is what you find when you go there. Well, I mean, I'm just picturing, you know, somebody's, you know they're they're getting on the boat. The boat hasn't left yet. They've got a six-year-old child who they've splurged and bought, uh, you know, a soda or some sort of beverage for. You know that kid's pitching that bottle over the side. Yeah. Well, do you see that brass-looking item in the in the water? Yeah, kind of like a pipe or loop. Yeah. You know what that is? No. I didn't realize it until I got out and started cleaning it. What you can't see is on the ends, there's two stanchions that come off. All of that is really ornate brass. And if you can picture an old wooden boat and the back railing with a brass rail, that's what that was. Oh, uh, really? Yes, I'm bringing one of the standoffs to the meeting on Tuesday. That's my show and tell. Uh, But it was like, I almost trashed that, and then I said, no, I'll take it home and take a look at it, and darn, it turned out nice. And those other items, uh, I started just to trash them, but I took one home, and the guy wanted one of those. Those guys cleaned up nice. Uh, He's giving one to the museum there because he also believes that's part of that docking for that one big boat. Mm -hmm. So he's going to get that in the museum out there in Water Belay. Now, the the fins on the right are the, are those your fins next to the dive ladder? Right, mine. The fin at the bottom. I never realized that almost looks like a face. On the, <laughs> it it kind of looks like one of those uh, scary Halloween masks that they have been yeah. popular the last few years. Yeah, I had some other stuff that's not even in the picture there, but I found two fins, different type. Uh, the bottles up on the boardwalk are the ones she kept because they had Coloma. They were embossed, uh, and the beers were nice. So all in all, they were pleased, and I was pleased. Well, that's good. You know, that gives you the opportunity to come back again. Well, what I did is I gave them a club card and said, uh, tell your friends. Well, what I did is, the way I, I rigged it is, I offered to go and clean their dock area of weeds and stuff for the first tank. And then uh-huh. after that, I get two tanks on my own to use our property. Ah, uh-huh. 
I, so I took my, my cutters with me and cut the weeds down there at the same time. Uh-huh. So I came up and said, you know where you have your uh, your swim platform anchored out there? He said, yeah. He said, do you realize your anchor's in a boat at the bottom of that? He had no idea that he was putting his anchor out. There's a boat out there. <laughs> so there, what kind of like a little old rowboat? It was a, an old rowboat and two more anchors by the rowboat, but they're concrete anchors. They had so many of those out there for, must have been for pontoons and stuff, and um, dive platforms. I just didn't even mess. I, I put them upright, put rocks on top so you guys can find them. <laughs> but uh, there's more of those, and you can shake a stick out. Oh, wow. So just some great items there. Just so jealous. Oh. Best visibility was the day it was raining like a, like cats and dogs. Really? It so, smoothed off. I got out there and I got eye level down. The rain is coming down so hard it looks like the raindrops when they bounce up looks like fish jumping out. I wish I'd have had a camera. Visibility improved right off the bat to six feet. And I know a lot of people are like, oh my God, six feet. Well, six feet and Papa, yeah. I don't know if I've. Uh, that's probably about as good as I've seen. And Paw would be six feet. Yeah, because we've been averaging three feet out there. Yeah. Well, I know that once. That last time I went with you, I, I think uh, I was averaging six inches. Yeah, I was definitely brailed up. Yep. But uh, good practice uh, getting in there. I saw my first. Yep. Yep. Saw my first alligator turtle too. Really. Yes, sir, uh, Bob. Now, did you did you see it before you touched it, or did you bump up against it? Oh no, I had my prod, <laughs> oh. and, and that's what caught my attention because when you hit it, it moved. <laughs> and then the visibility was well enough that I could see him suddenly darting off to the right hand side of me. First one I've ever really seen underwater at the same time, occupying wow. the same space. But you you found the golf ball, so those those count as dives then. Oh. Um, Absolutely. Well, uh, what I, uh, we, I, now, not that I've gotten as many dives in as you, but we did get uh, some dives in since last week. Uh, Bob, Kurt, Jim, and myself went up to Grand Haven, and we uh, did a dive on the Ironsides. And I actually have a little clip. We've got a video that we posted out on the uh, Scuba Obsessed Facebook site. Jim's also going to put it on YouTube. Uh, at some point in time, but uh, I'll go ahead and play a little excerpt from it because uh, we learned a, a few things. So maybe, maybe I should set this up. So we're going to go up, and it's from down here in uh, St. Joe area up to there. That had to be about an hour and a half drive. So we've been planning to dive and you know ch- checking the marine report and the weather report, and we've we make our way up to Grand Haven and then we know something's up as we see a lot of sawhorses along the side of the road. And then we notice that a couple of the roads, you know, we're probably about four roads away from where we wanted to turn down to the, uh, to the coast guard area where the launch was. And, uh, you couldn't make left turns. It'd say no left turn, no left turn. And, uh, so we're, we're wondering what the heck's going on. And then it's cars everywhere. We just, drove into a crowd, uh, pulled up the handy uh, Apple iPad, 
uh, looked for some alternate routes and were able to figure out ways to get around this area. So we're thinking there's some sort of uh, sidewalk sale or parade getting ready to go on. So we're still thinking that we're going to be able to get down to the Coast Guard dock. We zigzag our way around, and just as you're, a, you're getting ready to turn into the area where it is, they've got it blocked off, and they're turning us away, and they say, oh, no, you need to dive on. You need to drive onto the island, and uh, the ramp there is open. This ramp's closed. We're using it for staging. So we turn around. We go on that, and the traffic is, by this time, is just horrendous. It's probably about 1030, 11 o'clock in the, in the morning, and I, I see a sign, and it says uh, the exit's in like 500 feet, and it seemed more like 20 feet because we went right on by it. And you can see that the way the highways come together, that you can't get back to where we are without taking two or three long right turns, turning around, coming back. And the traffic in the other lane, which is now heading to wherever, whatever they had going on, is now backed up. So we're like, oh, crud, we're going to have to go back. We're thinking that we got another hour and a half. We take a right turn, which is onto another highway, because that was the first right, the, the next first right. And we take the next first right, and as soon as we get off, there's a brown sign saying, you know, public access here. So we drive down, and there's this beautiful park with public access and parking spot that was just perfect for the boat. So I don't know how lucky you can get, but we lucked right into it. Now, this ramp was a little bit different than the ramps we're normally using. You know, uh, Bob's boat, which is that Zodiac, perfectly fine ramp for that. Uh, I think even if we had Jim's boat, uh, there was all sorts of warning signs saying, watch out for the dredging. But the one sign they didn't say was, uh, watch out for the steepness of the ramp. So I'm going to play a, a little clip here. <laughs> yeah, we're off. <laughs> Fire all the in the water. <laughs> Here, Could you hear that? Oh, absolutely. I saw the video. <laughs> so, for those of you who haven't been following it, uh, what had happened is that ramp, it, you know, it wasn't 45 degrees, but it was a steep ramp. And we've got Bob's got a Saturn he, that he pulls his uh, Zodiac boat with, and it, it's pretty well matched. Uh, he said he was only getting about 12 miles of the gallon driving up because it was loaded between uh, f four guys in the vehicle and all our gear uh, was pretty well loaded up. But he, he likes to open the back ramp of that car, and he's got a plastic uh, mat that protects the carpet. So we had already decided we were, all, we were only going to do a single tank dive. So the only thing in the back of the car was spare tanks in case we needed it. I had the club's oxygen, and I had my dry bag full of a change of clothes. When I say dry bag, I mean the bag was dry, not that it's a bag that you can put in the water and it keeps things dry. Because we actually proved it doesn't keep things dry because I think it's still drying out now this week, uh, six days later. I mean, it weighed 20 pounds after it hit the water. Uh, luckily, I had a spare towel and, and another bag that was in the boat, so uh, it wasn't as bad as it, as it could have been. But everything just went flying. You can see it in the video. So if you haven't seen the video, head out to the uh, Facebook page. 
but everything just went. And and I was playing around with the uh, my phone, the video camera on the phone, just to get some shots and trying to get you know as we're going to move into video here into the next year, and I just starting to get some material so that we've got uh, you know segments and transitions set up. So mostly to experiment. I wasn't actually anticipating getting any any footage, but. Uh, we did have that, so it's a, it's a little funny to see that uh, even the best intentions went in. Uh, uh, I, I, I run around in the video. Uh, I set the the video camera. I got a longer video, but we added I added that on the short one where I actually set the video on the camera on the car seat because the ramp's so slippery, and I've got these uh, Crocs that yeah they're great for sliding on and off the feet and getting wet, but they can be a little slippery on a on a uh, slime covered ramp. But uh, it was the viz there in that river, which if you can see it in the video, was zero. I mean, that, that was chocolate milk. And when, that, when Jim and I were, had to search for Kurt's tank that fell in, the only way you found it by was, was by walking over it. There was no other way to see where it was. So we recovered everything, got back in, and then we headed out. It was a beautiful day on the lake. There were so many boats. And to kind of get to what was going on in Grand Haven, they have a festival called the Coast Guard Festival. Uh, I only saw two Coast Guard vessels. There was a U.S. Coast Guard vessel. had kind of an interesting front end on it, almost like maybe it might be an icebreaker of some sort. Uh, seemed a little small for an icebreaker, but you know, it had an unusual nose. And then there was a Canadian Coast Guard vessel that was monstrous, just a huge vessel. And it, had, it almost looked like a pipe layer, but uh, Jim called it correctly, and we think it was a buoy tender. In fact, there was some buoys on the deck. So that's what was going on there, but they're getting ready, and it was, it was crowded. Uh, but we got out to the Ironsides. That was uh, probably... Uh, you know, a good 20-minute ride out uh, with us being loaded as, as much as we were. The boat didn't get on plane real easily. Uh, Jim and I went down first. We were uh, wetsuit, and Bob and Kurt were dry suit. Uh, Viz was great on the surface, and it was great down below. I bet we had 65, 75 feet. And the, the vessels, the iron sides, uh, the boilers were, you know, probably the same as they've always been, except for that they're covered with zebra muzzles. Uh, the wood, I understand it, the, the decking in the hull is disintegrated a little bit more since people have been on it last time. So uh, it seems to be going rather quickly, becoming a rubble wreck where everything's laying down flat. Uh, there's a couple arches that were used as stiffeners in the iron side, and those seem to be probably pretty similar to where they've kind of always been. Uh, but this is this is a wreck that Jim and I definitely agree that we need to go back and do again. In fact, we need I, we probably got a good four or five dives that we could do on it. Uh, but uh, you know, maxed out our bottom time. We probably could go. I'm, I'm trying to convince Jim to uh, to get a little bit closer to time. He's he's very conservative on his uh, his dive times. So I think we could, you know, especially when we have bailouts. Uh, we don't necessarily need to leave the bottom with 1,200 pounds. <laughs> we could uh, have a little bit less air on our way back up, but uh, just a beautiful, a beautiful dive, uh, and and probably one of the best wrecks 
with visibility and being a nice wreck to dive on that I've seen. Uh, when was the last time you were on the iron side? Uh, it was early um, this year. Oh, so uh, you made it out this year then? Back when that was first discovered uh, in the 70s, for example, that ship was totally intact. Really? Uh, checking and everything, yeah, you had to do, it was penetration dive to go inside. It was just great ship. In the last 10 years, it's gone from being an actual ship to rubble. Yeah, because I, I wouldn't, you know, if you had told me that, I, I, I'd have a hard time even visualizing it. In fact, it was even in less, in worse condition than I was imagining if people had talked about it. Because there's, there's photos out there, like the MSRA website, mm-hmm. uh, that make it look a lot better than what it really is. Um, well, the other part is, 10 years ago, if you had 10-foot visibility on that wreck, that was a darn good day. Yeah. Oh gosh, we we could see both ends of the wreck from the middle. Uh, I could see the uh, you know the top of the boilers where they've got the uh, where it got buoyed off of and went down. And uh, so I mean, not a bad dive. I mean, it's still one of the more intact wrecks that I've seen. But you know, I would have loved to have seen it with good visibility, like we had, where it actually looked like a vessel. Well, I hope you are able to come up to Sheboygan in September, because they've got a couple of wrecks that are what I consider still rubble wrecks, but they're better than the Havana and the Rockaway and 12 foot of water. And we'll start getting you on some wrecks that are actually, wow, it's got a hole to it. And that's not laying on the ground. Now, up in Sheboygan, we, there are those type of wrecks we can see. Yeah, 60 foot. Really? Yeah. If nothing else would get on that one and the clay and the fault clay, um, even though they're highly deteriorating, I remember diving them 35 years ago, and it was awesome. Now they're getting trash. And it's not from people, it's from the weather. Yeah. Yeah, the, the people aren't doing this. I mean, I have heard some reports where they're saying that just the activity of diving, you know, moves and changes the currents and stuff and contributes to some of the wrecks breaking well, down a little bit. But I can't see that. I take a look at the iron sides. That's not got a lot of traffic on it. And that thing has just gone right to heck in the handbasket in less than 10 years, really. Well, what, what's you interesting... Know, I'm sorry, go ahead. What's interesting is just for the weather to be having that much effect on it is that deep. You you know, just mentally, it doesn't seem like there should be that much action down at that a heck of a current down there. Let me clue you. Well, the, the surface this time, this is one of the stronger currents. In fact, uh, uh, Bob had the line uh, trailing off the back of the boat, and it's a good thing he did because uh, I I was just about ready to grab for Kirk. And I was watching him because I knew there was, we could see there was a current, and he uh, he actually grabbed the line just as bad as he was reaching the end of my, my grasp. So uh, it, it was moving. It was one of those where you could swim against, but you didn't want to have to. It was uh, it was a pretty strong current, but once you got below the thermocline, there was there was really no current, at least on this day. Well, that's the only thing I can think about up in the Mackinac, where you got anything from 60 footers down to 150, 180. Mm-hmm. You you've got some nice trucks up there, and again, the Cedarville, you guys have got to get on that at least one time. At that steel hull freighter, 500 footer, like you've been talking. Yep. Lots of stuff. 
Yeah, I do. Yeah, Jim and I are definitely going to have to make it up there, uh, do that. But uh, the Sheboygan, I, I'm planning on doing it. I just need to get it on my calendar. I guess that's kind of next point. I am taking off. Uh, you know, now that we talked about the previous dives, I need to get some other dives. I've got uh, David just texted me during the show. That's the noise in the background. Wanting to know if I'm diving this weekend. Uh, but uh, I don't know what Jim's doing. If Jim's doing any diving, so I need to check with him. But I've taken uh, next Tuesday to the following Tuesday off. So the only day my wife has said I can't dive is Thursday. Uh, up here in Varian County in, in Michigan, we have the youth fair, a uh, beautiful youth fair. So, uh, uh, so pretty much uh, Thursday I, I, I couldn't dive. And Saturday I, I, try and, I might have to drive myself up. I want to get to the Gull Lake dive, but it's just going to be tough. You're talking the 14th? Yep. Oh, that, wait, Gull Lake's not 14th, is it? Well, the club picnic is the 21st. That's yeah. Gull Lake. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Club Stake Prize. Club Stake Prize is 21st. 21st. Okay, yeah, that's, that's the one. It's not this, this Saturday, but the following Saturday. That is correct. Yeah, so that, that one's the one that's going to be tough. For me, but what, what is there something going on this weekend? Uh, I'm still working things out with my kid. I don't know <laughs> what he wants to do. She, I, actually, I think she's going to be gone. Uh-huh. So I will probably. I need to get some jumps in, but I also need to get some more diving in. <laughs> yeah, well, you can you can jump in bad weather. I mean, you get that. Uh, of course, I no, no, I dive in bad weather. I got to jump in good weather. Oh, okay. God, I was uh, the weather just been so great. I just thinking, what am I doing working? And I remember that's the only way that pays for air is, is working. Well, anyway, you said, so the 16th through the 20th, you're going to be available? Oh, yeah. Yep. So you're, you said Monday, you're available Monday? No, this Monday I got to do work. That's the 16th. The 16th. But the 17th right. through the following Monday, I am off. Okay, I may set you up to dive with me one of those days. Uh-huh. In a special location. Okay. But you'll be sworn to secrecy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll wear a blindfold that I only look out of one eye. So. And uh, I have. You have a lift bag, or do I need to have one for you? I've got a. When you say I've got a like a safety sausage, is that enough? <laughs> no, 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 no. Lift uh, bag. Lift bag. Um, I. No, I maybe I need to rig one up. We keep talking about it, but. And uh, I don't have a lift bag. Uh, does Wolf's rent lift bags? Well, we'll see. Uh, we have a dive meeting Tuesday. We'll see. Maybe I can keep a couple. I got extra uh-huh. for that other project we were working on. Yep. Oh, well, yeah, we can talk about that after the show. Some some yeah. stuff too, is too secret to uh, <laughs> talk about on the air. But, uh, yeah, that, yeah, like I said, the only thing my wife has said, uh, she pretty much I would lose certain parts of the anatomy I've grown fond of uh, if I – I'm not helping on Thursday. That's a big day at the fair with bunnies and horses and dogs and, and everything the kids are doing it, doing it. So I can pretty much sneak something in just about any or every day as long as I, you know, am creative on my, my time scheduling. And then Saturday, if I do the Gull Lake dive, I'm going to have to pretty much go, you know, maybe dive before the eating. And what, what's the tradition there? Is it like uh Everybody eats and dives, or dives and eats, or and some people go early and dive two or three tanks, then eat and then dive two or three tanks. 
Believe it or not, we've had people who drove six tanks there. Uh, I, I think two tanks is... I mean, I believe the spot. It's a great spot. I enjoy diving there. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it. So I might do, drive up early, dive, and then eat and run. So yeah. I'll just, I just... Did you read the newsletter yet or not? No, I saw that as as I was as we were starting the show. I saw that it was out there, so I haven't opened it up yet. Yeah, check the uh, website one too, and if you would arrange that little cursor thing that you know, if they click on it, goes to that. Uh huh. I posted it, but you sometimes can massage it around. Yeah, I'll, I'll do a little bit of formatting, and and if anybody wants to see what we've got going on, you can head out to the www.scubaobsessed website and take a visit. And we've also got the uh, mudclub.scubaobsessed.com website, which is uh, what the club uses to communicate and, and show off some of its dives. Uh, I've, I've, I've been kind of bad. I, I've hit the major dives, but some of the small ones, it's been a challenge to keep track of what everybody's doing. So we almost need to have a list of, and we've had assorted dives on these dates and times. Cause, uh, now, now, what is uh, some of the, the, I hate saying old timers, I don't mean to say they're old, which they are, but uh, like, what is Ken and Larry and everybody else? Have they been getting any diving in? No, they've been pretty limited. Uh, something called work. I think you mentioned that yourself. Yeah, but uh, there's other. I mean, you, unless they're work. Well, of course, uh, I know Ken works some crazy hours. So. Yeah. Wow. Gosh, you got all this great diving around and weather, and it just seems like it's been a good year for diving. It's been a real good last two weeks for me. I'll tell you that. Oh my gosh! It's like every day. I'm like, is, is this a, yeah, is this an old, an old uh, photo or a new photo? So, but uh, congrats on all the stuff. That's that's great. Uh, and I saw you. Yeah, uh, not this photo I, I we're looking at now, but the uh, one from before. You had a couple of hutch, hutchies. Yep, I actually had some hutchies with the lady. I was bringing them in, and my darn gear bag opened. I didn't know it. So when I get there. I have um, a floating bottle in it to help keep some of the weight out. Uh-huh. It proceeded to dump all the bottles. Uh, I said I've already mucked up the bottom, so I can't find them. And it's like, oh, God, I had Hutchies for the lady. Yeah. Uh, I got to go back out. Those should be laying right on the surface in less than five foot, five, maybe ten foot of water. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, it gives you another excuse to get out there and do some more. Yep. Yep. I'm looking forward to it, but... Uh, Sharon would like somebody to be diving because I've been doing most of it solo, so she'd like me to have somebody with me. Okay. Yeah, I'm 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 always up for uh, diving again, so we'll have to group together with uh, you know Jim and yourself, and we've got some others. Have, have you have you dove with David yet? David, who? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> his, his picture was on. Uh, was on one of the what I posted in the Mud Club or one of the other sites. Uh, yeah, he he dove with. Uh, I, I think he must have called Bob. He's from uh, Pawpaw Lake. In fact, is uh, both. He he lives a, probably a, a quarter mile from Pawpaw Lake, and his dad I think lives on Pawpaw Lake, and they've got a boat, and uh, they've been doing diving, and and uh, he's a a truck driver, so there you know, he does a couple truck drives. And then he doesn't have, you know, while well, he's waiting for loads, he doesn't have anything to do. So he might have four or five days where he can go diving. So uh, his dad's got his boat all trailered, and they actually did the material service barge 
I think it was last week. Mm-hmm. And so he's been hitting a lot of, uh, he, he's kind of wants to get in, uh, in one of the wrecks. So not, he's, he's a, uh, one of us Northern divers, but he got spoiled by excellent visibility down in the tropics. So he's not a big fan of, uh, low vis dives. So that's the one thing that we've got to break him in on is uh, get him some a little bit more low vis time so he's more comfortable. Uh, but he, he does he does dive in pawpaw. Well, I don't think it's necessarily low vis. Sometimes I think it's sometimes it's the weed lines and mm-hmm. some of those weeds weed weeds versus the grasses. Yeah. Because uh, some of that place I've been lately is like really 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 thick. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I dove the Rockaway with him a couple of weeks ago, and then uh, earlier in the year we did he I dove with him on the Muskegon. Mm-hmm. So uh, they got they got a nice boat. They've got a little uh, ski boat. So not anything I want to be in the lake where you've got any waves more than one to two feet. But uh, if you want to get out to wherever you're going real quick, it definitely can get you there. So that's about does it for another episode. We'll have to give Jim some grief, and then we got the Mud Club meeting coming up on Tuesday, so uh, we should have plenty to talk about this next Thursday. Uh, so that brings it to the time for the bad scuba joke of the week. Uh, it's going to be a short one, so I don't even know if I can call it a scuba joke, but uh, it has to do with water, so that's close enough. You ready? Absolutely. Okay. It says, uh, from a passenger cruise ship, everyone can see a bearded man on a small island who is shouting desperately, waving his hands. Who is it? A pastor asked the captain. The cruise ship captain replies, I have no idea. Every year when I pass, he goes nuts. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. That's why we call it the bad scuba joke. (laughs) I still like it. Oh, I see. Oh, darn. I, I, I've had windows in front of the screen. So uh, uh, before we go, I see that we had Andy uh, Nuttoy was uh, was online and listening. So uh, if you pick up Andy from the podcast, uh, you know, thanks for listening. We'll, we'll, sorry I didn't uh, see you jump in the chat room. So we'll talk to you later. And uh, that, that does it for another week. Everybody go out there and get wet. Stay safe.